I have a document with 49 character traits listed on it, and so that means uh, with the ones that have been done, we've only got about 43 weeks left to go now. <laughs> no, 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 that's not. But we've looked at seven uh, so far, humility, response to unfair treatment, steadfastness, love, integrity, patience, and gentleness. And, uh, and I must say, Chris uh, Pughatch, uh, Tim Ryan, Chris Dirksen, they've knocked themselves out doing a tremendous job with this. And, and uh, we get such great response, and I, I just appreciate the teaching so very, very much. And, uh, and now, throughout Scripture, God actually promises blessing for submission and obedience. And that's the topic today the character trait that we want to be talking about today. In fact, uh, if you do not have this character trait and you have all the others, the others don't count. If you don't have submission in your life, if submission isn't a way of life with you and the chief, a chief characteristic or character trait in your life, submission uh, to God and obedience to God, then the others don't make any difference. Ultimately, everything comes down to this. In fact, if there's one thing that God is looking for a person that he can use, he is looking for someone who submits and obeys. That's it. When I look for staff, the chief characteristic that I'm looking for is not experience. It's not training and, and, uh, and education. The chief character trait that I'm looking for here at Southland and that I constantly look for on our staff is submission and obedience. That's it. That's what God looks for. It's a big deal to him. And in Deuteronomy, throughout scripture he talks about it. In Deuteronomy 11, he promises blessing. Uh, he promised blessing to the Israelites if they would submit to him and obey him. And then he promised cursing on them and curses on them if they would not submit and obey. And they experienced both, true to his word, exactly what he said. And in the new, uh, but here's what we need to understand submission to God includes submission to his delegated authorities. And this is where it gets tough because so far, okay, many of us are saying we got to submit to God. And in fact, you begin your Christian life that way. We say, do you uh, want, you want, uh, we say, Jesus, I've been trying to run my own life. It's uh, turned into a mess and I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm without purpose and meaning and I don't know where I'm going. I surrender my life to you. And I submit to you, and I want you to take control of my life. That's where the Christian life begins. We call it being born again, being saved, salvation, all that kind of stuff. Different terms we use for it. That's where it begins. And at this point, believers don't have too much problem with it, though in practice they might. But they don't mind hearing about it too much. It's when we get to that next part where it gets a little uncomfortable. Because what I have to say is that according to Scripture, uh, submission to God includes submission to His delegated authorities to obey them without question as long as they don't ask us to sin against God or, uh, or man. In the New Testament, there are four divisions of delegated authority that the, the New Testament talks about. Civil and family and church and, uh, and social, and social could include things like teachers and bosses, employers, all that kind of stuff. All of us, capital A-L-L, -L, all of us, me included, 
are under delegated authority. All of us. And it's not necessarily fun all the time. Amen? But all of us have delegated authorities over us, and the Scripture says that. Every decision from our delegated authorities is actually calculated and allowed by our almighty and infallible God. Authority is not a man-made concept. It is instituted by an all-wise God. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 13. He said, everyone must, what? What's the word? Submit himself or herself, so women, you're included in there, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has. What's the word? Who established it? God did. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It's interesting that he says it one way, and then he flips it around the other way. And the reason was, in case you were skimming through that part of the verse, he said, I'll quickly add it one more time. I don't want you to miss it, he said. To have God's best and God's blessing on our lives, we must unconditionally surrender our lives to Him and His delegated authorities. Romans 13.2 says, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So if we rebel against the authority that God has instituted, we are act- instituted, we are actually... Uh, rebelling against who? God. Because he delegates the authority. And so we're rebelling against him. And he said that. Now, I won't lie to you. This isn't easy. What we're talking about, this is not easy. This is actually very costly. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. It's very difficult It is no small matter that the first time the word submit is used in the English Bible, it is for the Hebrew word anah, which means to afflict. And and, uh, I'll give you the context of the story. Sarah was not able to conceive in in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. So she said to her husband, uh, Abram, take my maidservant, Hagar, so I can build a family through her. I don't know what she was thinking when she said that. But she said it. Abraham did, and Hagar bore a child. Well, that aroused a lot of jealousy, as you can imagine, and tension between these two women. Sarah then blamed Abraham for the mess. And so his response was to throw up his arms in exasperation, and he said, well, then do with her whatever, whatever you like. Just, just get me out of this. He couldn't believe it. On one hand, she wants him to do it, then she, he does, and he has a kid, and then... She says, now she's mad, it's his, his trouble, and he's exasperated. So Sarah turns around and mistreated Hagar so badly that Hagar grabbed her son Ishmael and fled from her mistress into the desert. There, an angel of the Lord met her and asked what she was doing. Hagar replied that she was running away from her mistress, or like a master, uh, Sarah. Now, I want you to notice what the angel of the Lord instructs her to do in the context of what has just happened. You wouldn't blame Hagar for running away from that kind of affliction. She submits, and it's affliction. It says, Genesis chapter 16, 9, return, this is what the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and, help me, what's the word? Submit. That's where the word, the Hebrew word afflict is, right there. To her. God was saying to Hagar, go back and submit. 
allowing yourself to be afflicted, to suffer, that is. It's not like this was uh, a new, uh, this wasn't something that God just had overlooked and didn't realize what he was sending her back into. He fully understood what he was sending her back into. God says, we are to submit to the human authorities he has placed over us, uh, though they may be harsh, though they may not necessarily know what they're doing. And uh, he actually knows that we will suffer for it. God actually knows that it will cause suffering in our lives. And he, and he sends us back to submit anyway. It's interesting, over the last uh, year, I came back 2009, you know, from the July time that I was away, immediately got into a series of Knowing God, and we talked about evil, mostly about evil, uh, evil and suffering and that kind of stuff, and the theme has, has come up several times throughout the year, and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it up. It's like he took Southland to a point. He said, I want to teach you something. There's healing on the one side, and we believe it. Amen, church? Yes, we do believe that. And uh, just last night, somebody came and, and told me what a wonderful healing God had performed in them over the last couple of months and may, and, and on a major issue. And, um, and, uh, and so we believe in that. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit's been saying, we also believe, and we've been learning, that there's such a thing as redemptive suffering. Suffering where God says, I want to allow something in your life, and it could be a physical ailment or whatever the situation is, and I want to allow it for my honor and for my glory. And we call it, re and for the advancement of the kingdom. And we've talked about that a lot. It's a both and. It's not an either or. It's a both and we believe here at Southland. Amen? And one of the, one of the ways, and it's, it's almost like a year later now, the Holy Spirit says, okay, church, family, you're ready for the next step. Okay? Now build on that concept and recognize that when you submit to authority, there, comes an, there may come an element of suffering with that or affliction with that. So we buy into the one part and then he adds this peace and we begin to see and accept it more readily. Jesus himself experienced suffering through submission. In Hebrews 5.8 it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. That's amazing. For example, God the Father had a plan for God His Son. Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the Lord's, what kind of plan? Good plan to crush Him and cause Him grief. God had a plan for Jesus that would include suffering. And God says it was a what kind of a plan? I want to hear it from this side too. What kind of a plan? Yeah, very good. It was a good plan. It was a good plan. And look at Jesus' response to this plan. Philippians 2 says, He humbled himself by becoming, what's the word? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, the, the Lord God has this good plan that's going to include suffering. And Jesus humbles himself in obedience and submits to the plan that's going to include suffering knowing that at the end, much good is going to come out of it. We're going to get to that in just a sec. But Jesus not only suffered when he submitted himself directly to God, because at this point we're going, okay, theoretically, that's not too bad. That's, that's, that's submitting to God. 
Jesus didn't only submit to God the Father directly, he also submitted to uh, human authorities that God placed over his son Jesus. Can you believe it? Can you imagine that? He's 12 years old. The story goes. And uh, his parents took him up for the first time at age 12 to the Feast of the Passover. The Feast of the Passover is over, and they go up the, they go up the hills to uh, Jerusalem. They're coming back. They're walking back in big groups, hundreds of them, in big groups going to their various villages throughout uh, Israel. And as they're going back, the parents assume their son must be with some of his friends or other family members, so it's no problem. They've been traveling for a day, and they're getting a little concerned. They look around. They can't find Jesus. And they ask the friends, they ask their relatives. Nobody's seen Jesus. So they retrace their steps, and it takes them three days. Can you imagine if you got a phone call that your kid's gone to camp and they've been missing for three days? You wouldn't like that, would you? <laughs> no. And they retrace their steps to Jerusalem, and they finally get to Jerusalem, and they retrace all the way back to the temple. And lo and behold, their oldest son is sitting in the temple having theological discussions with relig religious le leaders, the lettered people of the day. And he's, and he's amazing. He's astounding them. He, he has this depth of understanding, and he asks good questions, and he has incredible answers and everybody's just amazed by this young 12-year-old. And the parents are worried sick. They scold him just a little bit. And they say, son, didn't you know that we were worried about you? Uh, you were supposed to be coming home with us. And his response is a telling one. He says, didn't you know that I needed to be about my father's business? He's polite about it and gentle about it. But he says, he says that. Now, why is he saying something like that? He's saying it because it's very interesting. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, is the one who created those human beings in the first place. And now, he who made them submits to them. And he knows all the purposes of the Father perfectly, whatever the Father's revealed, and he says to his parents, who are the delegated authorities over him, don't you know? I mean, the angel came and spoke to you. Uh, you're you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going uh, to save the people from their sins and stuff. Don't you know that? Uh, and he says to his father, he's not, he's not uh, uh, rebellious in the way he's asking. He's just asking gently, don't you know that? They don't seem to get it. Now, it's very important that they don't seem to get it. He seems to know more than they do, but they are the delegated authorities. And he's the one who created them. And I want you to see the response. Luke chapter 2, when his parents say, you need to come home with us now. And it says, and he, Jesus, went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was, what's the word? Submissive to them. Sometimes the people, the, delegate, the people that God delegates as authorities over in your life will be too harsh, like a Sarah, or sometimes they, you, you'll feel like they're inferior to you because they aren't as educated, they aren't as trained, as experienced, they don't know as much, they haven't been as far, and God puts them over you. And then he says, and submit. 
and Jesus suffered in submitting to them. Is that amazing? Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's amazing, isn't it? I fear that we're walking, we're treading on holy ground right now. If God, who created us, would submit to human beings, how could we not? Amen? It's unfathomable. Perhaps you thought that if authorities in your life were... Uh, harsh to you, you didn't have to submit anymore. The story of Hagar teaches otherwise. Perhaps you thought that if the authorities in your life were inferior, uh, then you wouldn't have to. But Jesus' example indicates otherwise. Now, I'm sure there's some questions in your minds. Now, aren't there exceptions to this? And my answer to you is, there are exceptions. Or there is an exception. And we will probably talk about that next week. But for today... We're not talking about the exception, we're talking about the rule. We can talk about the exception next week, but before you get to exceptions, you've got to talk about the rule. Amen? And the problem is that today the exception has become the rule, while the rule has become the exception. As soon as somebody we, we deem somebody not as up to par... In our judgment, they immediately become the exception, <laughs> and we don't have to submit to them, because that's the spirit of our culture today. The scriptures tell us and prophesied that in the last days, the spirit of lawlessness would be there, and we are living in a day and age of lawlessness throughout the world. So, very quickly, we've seen that submission is a difficult and costly affair. I said, I won't lie to you on that. It is tough. We're talking about one of the toughest things that we can talk about. But submission to God's delegated authorities is actually one of the most wholesome and liberating truths ever given to us by God. The truth of this, however, remains hidden for most of us because Satan has taken this concept and twisted it into a negative term. So you never hear the media talking about submission and obedience, and if you do, it's always negative. And God says it's actually beautiful. The benefits we receive from submission far outweigh the cost. And this cost-benefit principle is actually something we all live by and experience in life. Did you know that? What I'm going to show you in just a second is that this cost-benefit principle as applied to submission, we live by that principle. For example, many years ago, as you know, I wanted, to, I wanted a flight career. So, and so what I did was I sold my, uh, my, my boat and my car so I'd have some money. Uh, we were living, we had chosen to live in Calgary. We left a nice city and moved to a remote northern community. We uh, left some really good friends behind. And uh, we had to give up, uh, I had to give up a great career with an oil company to do that. In other words, but as you're listening to me saying these things, doesn't it almost start to sound like some Bible verses you've heard somewhere? It almost does. Oh, here's one. Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will what? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's all I was living by. I was living by that principle. Not, a spiritual, in, a, not in a spiritual sense, just in a life way. 
Oh, here's another one, John 12. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell all I got. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff because eventually I'm going to get way more. I'm going to have the career of my life. I'm not going to have to work as hard. and I'm going to make way more money, but it'll cost me something in the beginning. Every university student lives by this principle. Every one of them. And parents and teachers continually drill it into their lives. Lose your life, son. Die to self. Eat out of tin cans. Lose sleep. Can't watch so much sports. Can't stay up and watch late movies. Got to wear worn out jeans and threadbare shirts for the next four to eight years. But if you do, you'll get a hundred times as much. Oh, that sounds like another verse I've heard somewhere. If any man will leave houses and lands and mothers and fathers for my sake, he will get a hundred times as much. It's the same principle. It's the same thing. You'll be way ahead of everybody else. So they go, die, lose, leave, and the tables will be turned. And then the last will be first. Yeah, yeah, some of your, and, and your parents and teachers are tell, drilling into you. Yeah, your friend, they left after high school, went straight into a lackey job. They're making a wee bit more than you eating out of tin can, but that's okay. Four to eight years from now, you'll be the boss over him. Ha-ha. And the last is first. We live by that principle. Farmers live by that principle. They take, wheat, they, they take grain and put it in the ground. It dies, and they get a bountiful crop. Amazing. Die. Leave. Cost. Athletes know that they have to die to many foods. That's why I'm not an athlete. And easy. <laughs> it's the only reason. <laughs> and easy lifestyle to work out to the point of pain in order to move from last place to first place. The last will be first. We all live by that principle. It isn't just Jesus who said that. It's a principle of life, and we all believe it whether we believe in God or not. Millions and millions of people believe and live by it. And, and so Jesus says, take that same life principle and apply it in the spirit realm. It's the exact same thing. Yes, it'll cost you something to submit to God, and it'll cost you something to submit to delegated authorities in your life. But if you do it, there are benefits that far outweigh the cost. Amen, Amen church? That's how it is. So let's look at a few benefits. We can't look at them all, but let's look at a couple. We receive protection from the powers of darkness. For example, when a pack of wolves is hunting, their instinctive goal is to go after any animal that is strayed. A wandering sheep has no shepherd to protect it, and it soon gets torn apart by ravaging wolves. They look for the one that leaves the pack, the protection of the pack, and the shepherd who protects them. God chooses to place people over you and I as a covering to protect us. And if we step away from that covering, we become like stray sheep. You know, some people, I'm not talking right now, uh, right now I'm using an example out of a spiritual context. Because all these principles work, whether you're talking about your job, whether it's children in a home, teachers, all the rest of it. But right now, I work in the context of a church, and you are in church right now. So let's use that as an example. Sometimes people will uh, come to Southland every once in a while. And uh, they come to Southland, and uh, on occasion, one will say to me, in this particular area, I'm really, really gifted, and I'm way ahead of the rest of you here at church. Like, the church just isn't anywhere close. And we've actually had this happen. 
And so then they right away want the freedom and the liberty to, to do with their gift whatever they like. And they don't like it that we have parameters, as we talked about in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit way back in May. They don't like those parameters. Nobody can tell them what to do because obviously if God gifted them that way and has spoken to them, they should be able to do whatever they like. They don't have to submit to human authority. And so then we put a little, some strictures in there so that it doesn't hurt the rest of the people here at the church. Then they, they get upset. So the next thing you know, then they, they, uh, the grass starts to look greener somewhere else. And, and they, usually by the time they've got here, they've already gone through a couple of other churches and found that there had to be some order and parameters as well. And they had to submit there too and they didn't, could, uh, didn't want to do it. Finally, they go kind of on their own. And they just kind of, you know, and try to maybe even pull a few people from the various churches, do whatever. And you know what invariably happens? They don't realize. The worst, the worst part of it is they don't realize they have left the covering and protection. And now they are easy prey for the, for the demonic world. And now he attacks them. And the next thing you know, there's carnage. Their marriages get shot, or their kids are wayward, or they can't get victory in their life. Or if they used to be very effective in ministry, suddenly they're not effective anymore. Sometimes they come on a church staff. They don't want to submit or something. I've, I've seen that in church staff. And they don't want to submit or anything. Next thing, they just go do their own thing because they know better. And next thing you know, they're out of ministry. Why? Because they went out from the protection of God's delegated authority. They thought they knew better, and now they're open prey for demonic attack. Now, listen to me, and people will often do this. Uh, this is a positive people. This is a positive. God has made it so that we get extra protection from demonic powers. Isn't that good? Isn't he good to us? He really is. He, he made it that way. So then people say, well, uh, I'm out here, but I'm just going to fast and pray. And they say all the right words. And, you know, they're very spiritual talk and that kind of stuff. Don't get fooled by spiritual talk. If a person can never joke or have some fun, they're probably not very spiritual. It's just talk. You know, Lord, Lord. And, and they get out there fast and pray. And it doesn't do anything. And the reason is because they're not under the protection. God made it like that. I, by the way, I'm under protection too. I'm answerable here at this church as well. I've got a board. And they as individuals are accountable to me. And we submit to each other. Submission has to go for everybody. Amen? If Jesus had to submit, I'm telling you, Ray's got to submit. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And then you've got to submit too. This is fun, isn't it? Is this a fun message? Or some of you are saying, I think I'm going to go back and listen to the one on gentleness, rather. <laughs> but God's, God loves us. Take a look at what Paul said. Yeah, there was in, in the church at Corinth, there was a man who was having sexual relations with his father's wife, stepmother. And this was Paul's response and ruling on the matter. He said, shouldn't you rather have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? When you were assembled, hand, when you are assembled, hand this man over to Satan so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. He, he, puts, he parallels put out of fellowship and handing this man over to Satan. Very interesting that he does that. 
Now the question is, how did the Corinthian church hand this man over to Satan? Did they go and lay their hands on him and say, Oh, in Jesus' name, we hand you over to Satan. Satan, come over right now and take him over. Is that what they did? No. You don't have to invite Satan to come and cause trouble. He'll do that without an invitation. Don't need to pray over anybody for that. No. Simply by putting him out of the fellowship, he was out of the covering of the delegated authority there. And by doing that, he was open prey. And God said, uh, and Paul said, then he'll be taken care of. In other words, being in the fellowship and under the authority of the leaders of a local church affords you some kind of protection. We're just talking about the church part now. There's other areas that we talked about as well. And during my 23 years in vocational ministry, I've seen the results of some some who have rebelled against authority. It's very, very sad what happens to their families. One child, and listen, we're not just talking about outward conformity, we're also talking about the heart conformity. One child, I read about this years ago, a child was told to sit down. child didn't want to. Finally, after a little bit of a scolding, child sat down and went like this and said, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> that, my friend, is conformity without submission. And you can, you can come to church, you can go to prayer summits, you can go to all the retreats and stuff, but if inside your heart you're like this, and you're saying, then you are not in submission. You're not under the protection. It's not about coming in a building. That is the key. Well, here's the, sec- here's the second thing. We learned, isn't that a great, isn't that a great benefit? That's worth the cost. Protection. Here's another one. We learn brokenness. And you say, that's a benefit? Yes, it's a benefit. Scripture teaches us that brokenness is very important in our lives. Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All kinds of suffering can produce brokenness in us. Submission to authorities in our lives is just one means by which God brings us to brokenness and helps us to crucify the flesh. Now there's two reasons why brokenness is so important. Number one, you can share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul said, I want to, number one, know Christ and the power of his resurrection, number two, and number three, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Many people have a tough time understanding what he means by that. So I'm going to help you. When you and I submit to the Lord's will for us to suffer, he then comes to hold and comfort us. Remember I said, sometimes, uh, now, uh, let me put it this way. God, may, God came to Jesus, God the Father came to his son, Jesus, and he said, I want, you to, I want you to hang on an old Roman cross, rugged cross, and I want you to suffer for the sins of people so that, that uh, I may be glorified and that, that they may be saved and the kingdom advance. That's what I want you to do. Suffering, redemptive suffering. That's what we're talking about. He may not ask you, and indeed he will not ask you, to get up on an old rugged Roman cross and die for the sins of others. Jesus did that already. But the suffering that he requires for giving God glory and advancing kingdom is not complete. And God the Father asks us to join His Son in the fellowship of His sufferings. The principle of suffering and advancing kingdom and bringing glory to 
God and bringing other people into, into the fold still holds today. There was a man who's a little older than me, saw me right after the first service. He, they're going through a tough time of suffering with his wife's health. Uh, cancer t- uh, twice. It's in remission now, but they, they think it's going to happen. He told me in tears how he told, asked God in the old building to break him so that he could use him effectively for advancing the kingdom. You know, you can have a a beautiful horse, but if they're wild and they're not broken in, they're of no value. Amen? And God says, he's got to break us in too (laughs) to be of value to the kingdom. And listen, when we submit in suffering, whatever it is, whether it's in a health situation, whether sometimes God says, I don't want you hanging on a cross, but I want you to, I want, I want you to go through some suffering through, uh, through not being healed. Or I want to take a loved one from you prematurely. But through that, I want to advance my kingdom. Then if we submit to that, what we have done, and said, yes, Lord, your will be done in my life. And we do it not because it feels good, but we do it with, and, and not with this superficial, yeah, okay, just do whatever you like. No, no, but it comes out of the heart that knows the pain, but says, yes, Lord. Then we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings where he is. When Paul was languishing in prison in the book of Acts, it says, in the one part, it says, the Lord stood near to him. Can you imagine going through your suffering and the Lord stands right there and shows up? Sometimes people tell me, Jesus, has sh- Jesus, showed him s- Jesus was in my hospital room. Fran told me that years ago when we were in Philadelphia. And I went to the phone to ask for some prayer requests. And I got back. And she said, she was smiling. And she was in excruciating pain. They did not know what to do. This was in Philadelphia. And I came back. And she said, and she had this smile on her. I said, what? She said, Jesus just was here in the room with me. I said, he was? She said, honey, it was unbelievable. His presence was unbelievable. And she described the whole thing to me. Some uh, persecuted believers in, in Chinese underground, they're tortured for their faith and stuff. They talk about Jesus showing up and, and they see him. Sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. Amen? Amen, church? There are benefits to this thing. The cost isn't fun. But there are huge benefits that others won't know till they submit in the areas that God wants them to submit. Uh, Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Here's a second value uh, uh, to brokenness. Brokenness is vital for effective service. The God And God uses suffering, including submission to delegated authorities in our lives to bring us to that brokenness. God had a tremendous plan for Jacob, amen? He, said the, he prophesied, he said, the older will serve the younger, and Jacob is younger than Esau. And, um, and Jacob was shrewd, he was crafty, independent, and way too smart for his own good, really. And him and his mom, who was an accomplice, uh, uh, Rebecca, they, she, they, they, uh, they felt they had to fulfill God's prophecy for God. He needed help. So they used extortion and trickery and deceit to do it. And, uh, and so, I mean, they were, bring, they were bringing forth God's will. So uh, Jacob extorted Esau's birthright from him, you know, with the soup thing. And then he tricked his father into giving 
him Esau's blessing, Esau, his father thinking that it was Esau, not Jacob. And that's the kind of scoundrel he was. And God is saying, I, I want to use you to advance the kingdom and I'm going to put people underneath you. But you're going to manipulate everything in a, with no integrity and you're going to break the other character trait. This isn't going to work. So God said, I got an idea. And he ships him off to Uncle Laban in another country. <laughs> Uncle Laban had two daughters. Jacob wasn't married. And he needed a wife. And, and Laban's got this, these two eligible daughters. And uh, Rachel uh, doesn't say anything about her eyes. says about Leah she had weak eyes. <laughs> so I guess it was beautiful eyes and weak eyes. But he, he, wanted, he wanted Rachel and he made a deal he made a deal with, um, with Uncle Laban, and he said, I'll work seven years for her. Laban says, done, contract. They shook hands, done. Worked seven years, and it was time for the wedding. He had paid his dues. Too bad they didn't have a nightstand with little electric lights on it. Too bad, because the next morning, Jacob wakes up, and laying next to him is not beautiful eyes, but weak eyes. It's Leah. He has been tricked. No integrity with his uncle Laban. And he goes and he's really upset. And I can imagine he's pointing his finger and he's really upset when the Spirit of God probably spoke to him and said, so what does it feel like? Oh, the scoundrel did it to him now. And in, he, so he had to serve another seven years for Rachel, though he got her a week later. And then he, he landed up working for him a total of 21 years. And in those 21 years, his wages were changed 10 times. No, don't, no, no raises. It was the other way. 10 times. And you know, by the time he was finished 21 years of being under that delegated authority, he came out a broken man. And God was able to use him. Amen? Amen, church? That's how it works. There's one last thing, very quickly. We are blessed by God. When we submit to God and his delegated authorities, we also experience his blessings. There's a a story of K.P. Yohannan from the Gospel for Asia. In the early 60s, he was on a ministry mobile team along with a team of 10 others. And one morning, they were stationed near the city of Yohansi in northwest India. The leader called K.P. Yohannan aside because they had two flat tires with no spares, no money to buy two more. So he, the leader, told K.P. this, and I quote, You are the only one who has a watch, so why don't we sell your watch and we can buy the needed tires? He didn't say, is there any chance you would possibly let us sell your watch, we'll get you another one? No. The leader said to K.P. Yohannan, you have a watch, the rest of us don't. And we're going to sell that thing so we can buy two more tires. KP was really upset about this. The guy's just being presumptuous. Just The leader is being presumptuous. I mean, can you imagine somebody, uh, me coming to your home and saying, you got a car. <laughs> and if we're going to sell your car, and that's going to take care of uh, a need we have for one of the ministries in our church. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ooh, how would you like that kind of delegated authority, eh? Anyway, boy, then we'd have a church meeting. Anyway, <laughs> KP <KP> says, <laughs> KP Hannon says, he was really upset about it, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit reminded him of a little phrase, obey your leaders. Ah! Takes off his watch and gives it to him. He sells it, buys two new tires right there in the village, puts them on, and the mobile team goes, goes, goes on. Mr. Yohannan says, 
that he wasn't without a watch for very long. In fact, he says that over the years, many people have given him many watches. His wife says, your hobby, and I'm quoting now, your, your hobby is getting watches and pens and giving them away. And God in his, in his humor, in his way of blessing, not that watches is a big deal to K.P. Johannan, but as a reminder of his goodness and blessing all the time and of this lesson that he learned in submitting to God and his delegated authorities, God's been showering watches on this guy wherever he travels. He has, he has so many watches all the time, and he's just giving them away all the time. Did it cost him something? Certainly it did. He didn't know he was going to get a truckload of watches, and he wouldn't have known it either uh, had he not submitted. It cost him something, but the benefit of God's blessing, not only the fact that he gets more watches, but the fact that God is chuckling in heaven and doing this all the time, and KV's going, thank you, I remember, thanks very much. Uh, the blessing of it, it's, it's amazing. When I was reading the story, the Holy Spirit said to me, whispered to me, and he said, Ray, the same thing's happened to you. And I know it's happened to many of you in different ways too. But he said to me, Ray, you left a, a career that you had chosen and you'd worked so hard for and you wanted and you were doing well. And, uh, and you walked away from it. And since then, do you realize, Ray, that three times since you went away from flying, three different men, without you ever going and looking for it, have come to you and surprised you either with a phone call or a visit and said, how would you like to fly my airplane? And I went, that's right. That has happened to me too. That, that, and, and then you realize the blessing of God. And often I say to God, I don't know why you would do that. Why, why would you send these guys to do that? He just blesses. And in case you're thinking right now that Ray thinks that's about the greatest blessing he can possibly have, you couldn't have judged me more incorrectly. Because then I, I, I often talk to Fran. I say, I look at my marriage. I look at the kids and the partners they married. Unbelievable. And the, the, these, these grandchildren that I loved to death and missed so much last month. And then, I, and then I kept thinking about Southland Church. And I just said, I can hardly wait to get back to these people. I just, and then I walked up today. And four services, I couldn't believe. Four times I got to walk up and see these people. And every time it's just something happening inside. And sometimes I look at Fran and I say, could, could, it, could anyone be blessed more than me? Is it possible? And just when I think that I must be more blessed than anybody else, and I got so many blessings, just when I think I couldn't be blessed more, he blesses me with himself. Amen. Unbelievable, and when he does, I come undone. It's unreal. At the end of our lives, what could, be possi what could we possibly want to hear more from God than the words, I'm well pleased. I've prayed that prayer so many times. I said, God, I just want to get to the end of my life. I can hardly wait to hear those words. I never think of growing old as a negative. Not to me. I just can hardly wait to get to him. <laughs> I want to hear those words. And you know, you don't have to worry anxiously, oh, I wonder if I'm going to hear him or not. If you are submitting to his will today and to the delegated authorities in your life today, you will begin to hear, you will already be hearing those whispers of, I'm pleased with you now. And he's not going to give you a different statement later if he's telling you how pleased he is with you now. Amen? When he says, I take such pleasure in you. I love you. I'm so pleased with you, what you're doing. Thank you. You're doing it. That's what he's. Then I know he. What, then we know what he's going to say at the end. Amen. 
I want to tell you something. I'm going to wrap it up with what, what happened to Jesus. Jesus, and that's where we end. Jesus Christ, creator of the earth, moon, stars, and all the galaxies, came to earth as an infant when he grew up and chose to walk down the wa- into the water, remember? And bent his neck under the hand of a human being whom he had created and submitted himself to go under the water in baptism. Remember, John didn't want to do it. He said, I can't do this to you. You can't submit to me. And Jesus did it anyway. A mighty voice thundered from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. When he submitted to the father and to the delegated authorities in his life, the father was just unbelievably happy. And he yelled so loud that everybody else could hear it around him said, I'm so pleased. We sing the song, I don't want blessings, I just want you. And that doesn't mean we don't appreciate, enjoy, and receive as many blessings bestowed on us. It simply means that when all is said and done, having the blesser is the greatest blessing of all. Amen? Amen. And we can have him. Let's bow for prayer. If you don't know Jesus, you need to ask him right now. I want you. Apparently, you're better than any of the blessings. Ask him right now. Tell him you're sorry for the way you have lived, lived your sorry life. Making a mess of it. Repent of those sins and tell him you determined today that you're going to submit to him for his will in your life. You're going to submit to the authorities he places in your life as he does with all of us. And now I want to pray this prayer for the rest of you. Lord, you know us so well, better than we know ourselves. Shed your light on any rebellion we still have in our hearts. Show us where we have rebelled against you or the delegated authorities in our lives. We repent of that. We want to lay down our lives and our own wishes for you because you are worthy. Help us, Lord, to exercise the courage to surrender, and by doing so, to fully submit to you and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.